0: Really, the story about the run for salmon goes back to our creation story. We have a a sacred spring high up on William Puyukra, Mount Shasta, and all life emerged from that spring. I think a lot of Californians don't understand what happens to the water in this state. Salmon are essential to the health of our waterways.
1: Welcome to Challenging Colonialism, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of Indigenous California. An important note from the start the producers are two white male educator academics, and these are not our stories. This podcast will center Native voices, and our intention is to highlight the significant work being done by Indigenous communities to challenge ongoing colonialism and to broadcast information about the resistance and resilience of Indigenous California in the past, the present, and the future. We're wrapping up the first season of challenging colonialism with this episode sharing the interview martin recently conducted with michelle garcia in the middle of the run for salmon of 2022 one year ago we launched this podcast with an episode focused on the significance of the mission bells and we've watched your interest grow as we've covered bay area shell mounds dam removals boarding schools and more we hope you'll enjoy this interview wide-ranging and sparingly edited And also that you'll look for new episodes in the fall. Thank you for your support.
2: And I think it's time for non-Native people to listen to us
1: for a change.
0: Hello, my name is Nichelle Garcia. I'm a member of the Winnumum Wintu tribe. Um, we come from the land of the Winnemum Waiwakit, or McLeod River, that runs south from Puyuk or Mount Shasta. I'm an educator for our tribe. Um, we've helped create curriculum um, for our Run for Salmon prayer journey. Um, I'm also an educator for the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Indian. Um, my family now resides in Kalapuya Homelands in Central Oregon. And prior to moving here, I was an elementary school librarian and reading teacher for the San Mateo Foster City School District. The Run for Salmon is a prayer journey that started in 2016 by our chief um, and spiritual leader, Kaleen Sisk. Um, It is led by a collective of Indigenous women, activists, and allies, and it retraces the 300-mile historic journey that... Uh, The salmon or the newer relatives would take from the headwaters of the McLeod River to the Pacific Ocean. So starting from the McLeod River through the Sacramento River to the Bay Delta estuary and back to the Pacific Ocean. Um, The first four years of the Run for Salmon journey follow the upstream migration route from the Bay Delta all the way up to the McLeod River. And for the next four years, starting in 2020, we reversed that prayer journey. And now we're following the route that the young salmon fry would take from the McLeod River, the headwaters down the Sacramento River and ending at the Bay Delta Estuary and on the coast, um, having a whale ceremony on the coast. Um, So we're sending those prayers out to the ocean and to the whale relatives and all the ocean life that also need the salmon as well.
2: Wow. And, you know, I have so many questions because I I don't know a lot about the Run for Salmon. I got to admit, I hear about it a lot. But is this something that, is it just uh, tribal members who participate in this? Or is this something that is open to the public?
0: So initially, the Run for Salmon was open to the public. um, And we had others that, you know, as it gained momentum, you know, initially was a very small group of us um, that that joined the Run for Salmon. Um, We've had... um, folks from the tribal communities along the way that have joined more so over the years. Um, but there's also, you know, community and, and allies that are not, you know, not native. In 2020, when COVID hit, that's when we had to out of um, to protect the health of our elders and for everyone. Um, we've closed the ceremony. So the prayer journey has been closed for invitation only to keep the numbers smaller. You know, we have medics that are on the Run for Simon Prayer journey. So we are being really mindful of not overwhelming um, the medics that are with us, uh, making sure that they can keep us all safe. Um, we also have um, an amazing um, crew of kitchen folks who support the run. We need to get a lot of donations to, to feed us along the way. So it's a lot of um, keeping that um, going really well and keeping us all fed and, and healthy along the way as well. So uh, mostly for COVID precautions this past few years, the three years of the downward migration have, have been closed ceremonies, but we've really tried to include everyone Uh, through social media so everyone can tune in and follow the run along the way.
2: Do you have a sense of like the numbers of, of people who participate in this? I'm sure it's changed over the years.
0: The number of participants fluctuates. It's fluctuated over the years because of COVID, but it also fluctuates depending on where we are along the journey. Uh, we have some folks who are able to make the commitment for the entire way, um, and um, there are others who are only able to come and join us at certain points or reconnect with us later on. <clears throat> so I think prior to COVID, we maybe had hundreds of participants, ranging from children to elders and different tribal communities and non-Native allies. We have about 50 core organizers who have helped us hold down the logistics since 2016 and we also have a lot of tribal communities and movements who have been in alignment with us uh, since the beginning as well Um, auntie karina gould and the confederated villages of lashon have been with us since the very start uh, when the run for salmon began in the bay delta estuary it was karina who opened that up for us who held ceremony for us at sagorate giving us the permission to be there in their territory and acknowledging how we are in alignment in that prayer, we are connected by the waters and connected by the salmon that would come in um, through the bay delta and so we 've also had anti case and the Protect Mount Akea movement who 've also been with us since the beginning, and they continue to support us, whether in person or from afar. Uh, We have other tribal communities along the way who have come out to greet us and to host us, and again, giving us permission to be in their territories. And that's something that has grown over the years. So, that's been a beautiful thing to see. Uh, For example, this year, even though we had, again, a closed COVID safe ceremony and prayer journey, we had the Machupta Maidu that hosted us in their territory. We had Wilton Rancheria and Shingle Springs Band of Miwok come out and join us. Uh, Shingle Springs uh, came out and paddled with us uh, along the waters, putting those prayers down along the American River and Sacramento River confluence. We also had some of our core organizers, um, Pomo and Wapo, um, extend the prayer journey out to the Cache Creek area and laying down prayers along Puta Creek and Berryessa Reservoir. Uh, We had youth pomo dancers that came out to to lay down those prayers and dance with us there. And so that was a really beautiful extension that we were able to do this year. Um, We've always had uh, runners from the Trinity River. So we have the Hoopa, Yurok, and Karuk that have joined us um, in the farther north region uh, the Trinity River is also impacted by the Shasta Dam that's pumped out and pumped into the dam and so their waters and salmon are also affected by it and so they run from the Trinity River to the Shasta Dam and so we we meet them there and so we've been in unity and prayer with them as well. And then these past couple of years with the whale ceremony is when we've had uh, members of the Coast Miwok and Pomo join us on the ocean um, ceremony. Uh, one year prior to uh, COVID, we also had a whale ceremony down in Kumeyaay territory. And so that is something that we're hoping we can connect with again, again, connecting the, the northern part of the state with the southern part, acknowledging the whale migration that goes um, down along the coast. And so we're hoping that we can extend the run for salmon back down to Kumeyaay territory again. So yes, it's been um, a wonderful thing to see in the seventh year of the run, how it's grown and connecting communities and staying in unison in this prayer. I think it's really important that, you know, that's an aspect of the prayer journey that is beneficial for reconnecting tribal communities um, and connecting us in this effort that, you know, our waters are connected. Um, The issue of the salmon and the the health of our waters are, you know, we should, you know, hopefully be collectively working on this together because it does affect us all. If the salmon can't make their way home physically then we will make the journey for them. And so by following this 300 mile route that they would take along the waterways, we would go through, um, we bike, we run, we paddle, um, we walk the entire journey. And um, you know, it initially it took about two weeks for us to cover the entire journey. Um, this year we're, we're extending it because we're trying to spend more time along the water and be in the water but by doing that it's a ceremonial way of bringing the salmon home our voices our footsteps our paddles are putting those vibrations back into the waters that have been missing the salmon and I think that's what a lot of folks don't understand that the salmon need the water as much as the water needs the salmon. We, they're both missing each other. And and it really is the, to the benefit of all of us, because I think a lot of folks don't understand that salmon are essential to the health of our waterways. And um, a lot of folks like to say, oh, well, it's the drought, you know, or it's the years of severe drought that are causing this. It's climate change that's causing it. But when you really look at it, it's the history. It's the the man-made decisions of mismanaging the water, of not understanding the close relationships of salmon and water, um, that have affected the salmon runs and the health of our waters. Too much water is being allocated away and um, into big ag businesses and to reservoirs in Southern California. I think a lot of Californians don't understand what happens to the water in this state, and so. Um, You really have to understand that to really get a full picture of what's going on. Really, the story about the run for salmon goes back to our creation story. Um, So our creation story, um, we have a a sacred spring high up on Boyinpuyukra, Mount Shasta, and all life emerged from that spring and uh, humans were the last to come out of that spring. And right away, Creator knew that we were gonna need a lot of help. And so the noor, the salmon were the first to come back and offer us their voice. So we could speak and interact with the world. And in return for that gift, we are obligated to always speak for the salmon. And so for thousands of years, we've honored that gift and we've had, um, you know, really important relationship. We're Salmon people. And um, we've had a close relationship with the nor for, for, you know, since the beginning of time. And so, you know, as things have happened in California history and, um, you know, when the building of the Shasta Dam came in, you know, after, you know, so much had happened up to that point, you know, being displaced Um, genocidal acts that were happening, um, getting slowly removed from our homelands, um, as settlers started to come in, um, you know, we were still living along the river. We still had allotments and villages along the river. Um, But when the Shasta Dam came in, starting in 1938 and finished um, being constructed in 1945, um, we were flooded out. And... The salmon were forever blocked from returning to their ancestral spawning grounds, and so it was, uh, you know, genocidal for us and also for them. And so ever since, um, the salmon numbers have been in decline. And so, you know, this is something that we've always been aware of. We've always been concerned about. Um, and so, the need for the run for salmon is something that's always been there for us, um, but it's just a matter of those who are, who are going to open their hearts and their minds and their ears and listen. And that's been the frustrating part of it is, is getting to the point where people start listening. And, uh, and that's been, um, you know, the one of ongoing efforts, especially under Chief Kelling Sisk, who's been tirelessly working towards where we are today. Well, for us ever since uh, 2004, when the US Bureau of Reclamation wanted to raise, has been proposing raising the Shasta Dam another 18 and a half feet. And knowing that that would cause even more devastation to, to us, it would flood even more of our homelands and few sacred sites that we still can access along the river, it would flood what would remain of those. So we knew that we needed to do something. And so in 2004, we had uh, a war dance on Shasta Dam to protest that, that raising of it. And that made the news and it was covered in the New York Times. And um, little do we know that, you know, the Maori in New Zealand heard that story. And so when they heard that story, this is where all these little pieces of history come together. Back in 1872, when we were still living along the river, the salmon runs were already declining because because of mining that was happening, you know, there was so much devastation and pollution from the mining that was already, you know, affecting the salmon runs. And so the U.S. started this this program of hatcheries to rejuvenate these salmon runs um, and not really knowing much about salmon not really consulting with us about the knowledge, thousands of knowledge, um, years of knowledge that we have about salmon. They figured they can take eggs and put them in all different places in the world. And suddenly there'll be salmon. So the salmon eggs from our river, from the Winnemaw were taken and put all over the world. And, you know, we didn't know what happened to them. Some of our, you know, we, the Winnemaw helped that hatchery when it was first built, it was uh, provided some protection for us from a lot of the settlers that were coming in by working with that hatchery system. But you know that, that hatchery eventually closed and you know, we were dis- further displaced. Um, so that was the last we'd heard really about what happened to our salmon eggs. And so when we did this war dance in 2004, the Maori contacted us and said, we have your salmon. Um, the Rakaia River in New Zealand the only place that we know of that our salmon survived they have it documented they came from the McLeod river and it said since then they have been living and coexisting with their sacred eel and so they said you know what can we do how can we help you get your salmon home and so in 2010 uh, many of our tribal members went and they were welcomed in new zealand and held ceremony for the salmon and got to see our salmon relatives in person and touch them and sing to them and pray to them and let them know that we are going to do everything that we could to bring them home. And so it really, you know, it goes this far back. And so we've been pushing for this advocating through, you know, trying to find a seat at the table with all the different, you know, federal and state agencies. We've been advocating for the swim way and for the New Zealand eggs to be brought back ever since. And so it's, you know, it's been over a decade that we've been advocating for this. And so, you know, messages started to come in to Chief that, you know, we need to do more, we need to wake more people up. Unfortunately, it's just taken the dire numbers of the salmon to finally get to this point. And so, you know, is wish we, it could have happened sooner. But This year we have uh, partnered up with NOAA, um, National Oceanic Atmospheric Association, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, California Fish and Wildlife, um, National Marine Fisheries, and having a a reintroduction of the salmon eggs on the McLeod River. So there we are having incubation tanks that were placed um, on the upper McLeod River. And we had about 20,000 eggs That were put in those incubation tanks during the initial part of the run for salmon and so um, it just was beautiful timing that it was happening at that time so we were able to go to one of our traditional village sites and hold ceremony for those salmon eggs and see them enter those waters for the first time in you know almost 80 years and um, this is not so much a species reintroduction it's kind of a test run right now to see what happens, you know, the agencies wanna have their biologists and everything on on this project to see how it goes. And so um, we're gonna see, you know, we wanted our New Zealand eggs to be the ones to come home. And so it's, you know, it's a lot of negotiations and sometimes compromises, but um, we are really hopeful that this is gonna be uh, a good co-management program. Um, Chief Kellyn Sisk has finally a seat at the table. And so we're hoping that this partnership is honored in a good way and that we're all, we're collectively monitoring how these eggs are going to do, but it's um, to have them on the upper McLeod where those cold, cold waters are. And that's really what the salmon need is that cold, clean water um, and bringing them back to the ancestral spawning grounds where they should be. And so we're going to be putting an additional 20,000 eggs in, in August, so for a total for about 50,000 eggs for this first run, as they hatch and the salmon um, fry start to come down, they're going to be um, f- swimming down to screw traps that are placed farther down river, and they're going to be collected and trucked and hauled to the Sacramento River, which is Again, hopefully something that's just an initial step in the right direction, not something that we had wanted to happen. We of course want the salmon to come on their own and we are still advocating for that fish swimway. Um, the swimway that we have been advocating for would be along the Dry Creek and Cal Creek tributaries. So those actually run from the Sacramento River and they actually touch in the lower pit river arm of the reservoir um, within our territory. And so, and that dry Creek runs right along um, our village site that we, many of our tribal members live at now in Reading. And so even though the water level fluctuates in that Creek, salmon showed up this year on that dry Creek. And that was the other amazing miracle that happened this year. Actually, Chief Kelling's Sis' granddaughter, little Maya, they had gone down to the Creek one day and um, we have a video on it, on our run for salmon YouTube video um, channel of documenting what had happened in that story. So chief had pulled over on the side of the road to take a phone call. And my really, really wanted to go down to the water. And so she went down there and um, she came and got chief and was like, grandma run for salmon and you got to come down. And, Chief Caling goes down to the river, to the to the creek, and sure enough, there are salmon there, which we would think wouldn't be possible. But all these years of us doing the run for salmon and setting those prayers down, because we would run along those creeks for the run for salmon, and we would put those prayers down because that is where we want the salmon to come. This we need to, to tell them to make that turn from the Sacramento River to the Cal Creek confluence and go this route around the dam. We've been putting those prayers down all, you know, this is our seventh year and suddenly they show up. And so that just really furthered, you know, knowing that the strength of our prayers that the salmon are hearing us and that they're ready. Um, And so if they are successful and, and they get good numbers that the agencies and biologists are hoping for that this will be the next step that the swimway is then the next step and the New Zealand eggs will be those next eggs.
2: What a beautiful story. That's so, that's so amazing. I also understand that you worked on a curriculum page. Could you tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit about what the, what that is?
0: For sure. Yes. So I am part of the curriculum team that has worked with our tribe and a great team of journalists, educators, filmmakers. Um, so when we first did the run for salmon in 2016, after that uh, first amazing year of like, okay, what are we doing? Um, how can we again like, you know, get get the word out? You know, we need to maybe, you know, think about the schools and knowing that in the in the elementary schools, you know, what curriculum needs are for and where our voices, Native voices, are not heard enough of, um, that's definitely something that we've always wanted to advocate for. And so um, we started sitting around thinking about how we could create some curriculum about the room for salmon. And so um, Toby McLeod and Jessica Abbey, who are part of um, Earth Island Institute Sacred Land Film Project, have had a very close relationship with the went to for decades. And so they have a lot of, um, through other films that they have done about our tribe, they have so much documented um, footage, but also research that uh, material and photography that they had at the ready. Um, our our own filmmaker, Will Doolittle, had produced an award-winning film, Dancing Salmon Home, that documented our trip to New Zealand and seeing our salmon relatives there. Um, we had that film to work with as well. And so my sister, Dessa Drake, and I, and all of them kind of came together. And she and I worked on putting all these resources together and created a fourth grade curriculum that tells the story that... Tells the story of our relationship with salmon, our relationship with our homeland, uh, and talking about the importance of salmon and water and how they are connected and what this Run for Salmon journey is. So, you can follow the run, the, lesson, the way the lesson is broken down. You can follow the run along the way. If it's that same time of year, um, it's kind of embedded into the lesson of like checking in on where Run for Salmon is. Um, or even just understanding the journey in that way. And so um, with the fourth grade curriculum, of course, we're trying to think, be mindful of different standards and different ways that you know, students learn about native peoples and um, science standards, English language arts standards. And so incorporating that all into the fourth grade curriculum was something that we had um, tried our best to do and really just be able to tell the story in our way um, from our perspective and, Um, hopefully have be something that teachers could weave into their unit if they're teaching fourth grade, their California Indian unit. Um, If they're um, learning about if they're in Shasta County and it's their tribe, it's something that they can learn about about their local Native peoples in the third grade. So um, definitely something that can be adjusted grade level wise. And then um, when COVID hit and Um, you know, everybody was distance learning. Chief Kelly Sisk was thinking, well, you know, having our own experience with our own youth at home and what that was looking like, um, it was her idea to say, you know, maybe we need to do some like some online mini lessons that can really help not only kids of any age, but anyone from any age, whether it's a family that's, you know, homeschooling or someone who doesn't know about the Run for Salmon, just some short mini lessons, of how to tell the story and how to get more awareness out, and so uh, again we're huddling close together. Like it's always like in these short term like ideas. Okay, let's do this. We've got like one month or something, and so it's always been kind of this mad rush to put something together, and um, and so I think you know that's what the, how the mini lessons came to be. It was really this sudden mad rush of all of us coming together um again with some of the the material that we already had but also like something that chief kelling told me a long time ago when i first started out as an educator and trying to think about what i was going to do with my in my career uh, i remember her always saying you know you don't always have to create something there's already a lot of good work out there sometimes it's like knowing where to find it and so for the mini lessons um because we were on that time crunch, it was like, okay, so what's already out there? What are some great resources that we can pull together to that will complement this, you know, what we're trying to get across. And so um, we've embedded in those mini lessons, a lot of more hands-on activities that is, you know, a different angle on learning about this other than, you know, not having to really think about standards, you know science standards and English language art standards and all of that, but really get a way of like more hands-on education, which is something that I think a lot of more people have, you know, better experience with and learn in a better way of having that kind of education. So that was another goal with the many lessons.
2: There's a lot of people who probably might be listening to this, who haven't been able to participate, but how can somebody get involved or help out? You know, are there different ways that people could do so?
0: Absolutely. So our runforsalmon.org has a lot of information. So you can get more information about what the Run for Salmon is, um, what we're advocating for, some of the policies um, that we're up against. Um, and so you can get more information there. But there's also um, more information on ways that you can support. So there is a donate um portion on that website. So any funds, you know, we, we raise a lot of funds are on our own. We rely a lot on grant funding. Um, so, um, for, for the folks that may not know the Winnemawintu, um, are, are not, well, I don't, we don't like to say we're not federally recognized because we were federally recognized. We should be federally recognized. That's the U S government who has stopped Um, honoring the obligation to recognize us um, um, as we were dropped off a list in 1985 without explanation. So, um, and we have had government to government relationship with the United States um, this whole time and all the way down back to 1851 when we were on part of the Cottonwood Treaty. So we've continued to interact with government agencies up until this day. Um, And so... But when you don't have that federal status, you don't receive a lot of services or benefits at other tribes too, And so funding is always something that we're up against and, um, and qualifying for certain grant funding also. So we're always trying to raise money. And so donations are always a, a wonderful way to, to contribute to the run. Um, we're also um, ways that you can support or, you know, Attending some of the water board meetings, you know, learning more about the water policies um, that are going on in the state of California, um, learning more about what, um, you know, water rights and how those were determined and and some of the the things that need to be fixed for better equality and racial and social justice. um, Tribes that were not included in those water rights in the very beginning of the California statehood. Um, And so, there's, I think, a lot of that history that you know, a lot of folks don't know about. So learning more about that and speaking up on our behalf at some of those water board meetings, Department of Water Resources, speaking to your local state and federal officials, um, writing letters and a lot of students that I, in schools that I worked with write letters um, to the governor, write letters to you know, Congress, um, anything to help support um, what we're doing is, is greatly appreciated. And, and also, one of the things that you are know, most important is, you know, finding your connection to the waters where you are. We are all connected by, by water. And so whether you're in California or in some place in the world, that still connects us. And so collectively, um, being in that prayer um, and thinking about the water and what we can do in our own communities to protect water, to ensure it's um, clean and cared for. Um, and if you have salmon in your waters, um, also thinking about them and what you can do for them. So, but by putting those prayers in, um, in the waters that you are, is also another way that you can support run for salmon. There's some news articles and on, on social media, um, you know, on our, on our run for salmon Facebook site, you know, we have little video clips of those salmon eggs being put in the water. And so if if, if anyone wants to see, I encourage everyone to tune into um, our Run for Salmon um, on Facebook or Instagram, and you'll see, you know, you can follow the, the Run for Salmon that way, just by tuning into social media, you can follow us and see what it looks like, you know, what it looks like when we're on the water. And there and, you can see the, the parts of that ceremony of us welcoming those eggs in, um, letting them know that we're here. Um, and our little ones were the ones that got to put the first cups of eggs into those incubation tanks. And, um, you know, it's just, it's not lost on me that it's our seventh year and we had seven youth that were there that were able to, to do that alongside with Chief Kelly Sisk, um, to put those salmon eggs in. And it's just, you know, my child was one of those. And, and it was, I think it's just now hitting me, you know, just being on the run and then coming home. And I'm just thinking about it and it, you know get emotional because it's, um, it's historic. And, um, you know, for us, it's not, it's not just about, you know, bringing salmon back for, you know, fishing and for food and Um, commercial fishing industry for us this is these are our relatives these are like losing a family member that you haven't seen in over 80 years and so when um, when they come back um, and you see them and you know these little eggs that we're praying that this is this is going to work and um, it's very emotional for us to to be to be there and, um, to have this happen. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it's much deeper. It's much deeper than, than just a, just a fish and water. These are, these are living beings and and relatives and, um, you know, we're obligated, we're obligated to take care of them. Returning the Nur back to the Winnemaw Mo'iwakit is historical and emotional for us on so many levels. It's, it's seeing a relative come home for almost 80 years, but it's also the significance of of being able to go to our traditional village site, to be in that space and have our dance arbor be built to dance and to sing and to pray with the land And let all the beings there know that we're still here. Um, This is land that was taken from us. It was privately owned for a long time and is now a campground for the U.S. Forest Service. And so this was the first time that we had been able to hold ceremony there. And, you know, over 100 years. So that was very significant um, in making sure that this was done in a good way. Uh, but it's not just about us it's it's about all the other beings who are missing the salmon too the water the land the plants trees insects birds animals larger fish seals whales all the way from the river to the ocean the salmon are the most giving fish in all stages of its life and they they bring essential nutrients to the waters and the land so by bringing them back, we're helping to restore all of those relationships, healing both the water and the land. They are climate changers. So we encourage folks to, to learn about the Run for Salmon, to check out our curriculum. We will be updating it to reflect um, the new developments that have happened this year and to track um, how the salmon are coming back on the Upper McLeod. And please do what you can. Do what you can in your communities, along your waterways. Help us honor our obligation to the salmon. Help us bring them home. It's for all of us.
2: We officially conclude the first season of the Challenging Colonialism in California podcast. We appreciate you listening and sharing If you have enjoyed and learned new things, we invite you to give a rating and write a review. After a short break, Challenging Colonialism will return for Season 2, which will include new episodes shedding light on the problematic history of anthropology, academics, and Native Californians, movements to bring back Native village names, and remove place names that glorify genocide, NAGPRA, and ongoing battles to protect grave sites and repatriate ancestors, and much more.
1: Our guest for this episode was Michelle Garcia. Challenging Colonialism is produced by myself, Daniel Stonebloom, and Martin Russo martinez Interviews by Martin. All audio engineering and editing by myself. Music by G. Gonzalez. The Introductory Framing by Brittany Arona. This podcast is produced with support from the California State Parks Foundation.